It's Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 4K podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about dealing with relationships as a retirement plan provider. Uh, obviously, a, a topic very near and dear to me. Usually, all these topics are very near and dear to me. Um, I wouldn't be writing it if I wasn't interested in them. Um, so, uh, before we kick off, let's talk about all the live events at 401ksite.com for further information. We'll be in Phoenix, April the 8th, looks like it. By the time you this episode drops, I'm hoping that the lockout will be over. I record usually on a Tuesday, and Tuesday is the uh, supposedly extended deadline to avoid um, canceling the season. So we'll... Uh, Hopefully have that on April the 8th with special guest Reggie Sanders, 2001 Diamondbacks World Series champion. He had a pretty solid career. Uh, I had him uh, on my uh, fantasy uh, baseball team, but uh, in those days I called it Bratistry because uh, uh, fantasy baseball was pretty much uh, discovered, well, created at a uh, Bratistry restaurant in New York, and uh, the folks who created it uh created the brand Rotisserie Baseball, and since they didn't copyright Fantasy Baseball, everybody else made money but them, um, and then they dissolved and whatnot. But uh, we got that, and we also got June 24th in uh, Miami, Florida. We should have a guest uh, announcement very, very soon. And um, October 14th, Charlotte, North Carolina. We'll see if we can get some events. I'm looking at September uh, as, a, as a good possibility. Uh, may run two in September. We'll see how it goes. Um, there is a place in New York I would like to have an event, and um, obviously with the lockout, everything got blocked off. I, I can't do it in June, or, or maybe I could do it in June. We'll see what happens. Um, place not near and dear to me, but a place that we uh, should hold uh, that 4K conference. I think it's required by law. One of these days, I would certainly like to do one at Madison Square Garden, uh, in New York, I think in New York we'll, we're going to try to hit all of them. I don't know about the Barclays Center, and I certainly don't know about US uh, U UBS Arena. I'm not an Islander fan, but man, maybe we'll have an event there, and I'll wear a Rangers jersey. But go to that forwardkaisite.com for further information. Pretty soon we're going to start booking for the January virtual event in 2023. Uh, obviously special pricing for those who want to be in attendance on the Zoom, um, which should be uh, which should be a lot of fun. But uh, again, going back to uh, the subject at hand with relationships with a retirement plan provider, and you know, I learned from a long time ago uh, when I first started. There was a salesperson there uh, at the TPA that I was working at, Rich Larita. I proceeded to work with Rich at two TPAs, totaling almost ten years. Uh, Rich unfortunately passed away. Uh, I still can't believe it. Uh, he died in March two thousand seven. It's hard to believe that was 15 years ago um, this month. I think next week will, uh, March the 7th, I think is the day he died, I want to say. I, I could be absolutely wrong on that. Uh, I know it was sometime in March. Uh, he passed away at 39 years old. Um, still to this day, I, I still can't get over it. He'd, he'd be just 54 years old. Um, I think of him often. And I think of him often because I think the beauty about Rich was... I will still contend that, uh, as a joke, that he couldn't spell 401k. But he was the greatest TPA salesperson that I knew because Rich knew and, and developed relationships. He knew how to treat people. He knew how to treat people well. I mean, one of the first instances that I knew how he would treat people, 
I was a lowly ERISA associate making 35 grand a year, actually. And then, uh, you know, come December, I got bumped up to 40. Wow. <laughs> but um, I remember that May, uh, he knew I was a huge Mets fan and he had extra tickets. So he took me to the Mets game. And that was the uh, time that uh, uh, John Franco recorded his 300 saves. So, I mean, he just knew how to do these little things to create loyalty, to create relationships. And to this day, some of my best friends in this business are because of Rich Larita. Um, Larry Davis. Larry Davis, I think uh, I mentioned from time to time, Larry Davis is one of my best friends. Uh, Larry Davis is the guy who um, books all my athlete appearances. So you'll see him at the events. There are a couple times where he wasn't there. His, his other uh, associate, Warren, was in Chicago and in Colorado. But, you know... Um, and um, I think, uh, and, and Larry didn't make Philadelphia, but he's been at all the other events. Not Tampa Bay, that was a whole nother story. We'll get into Tampa Bay, St. Pete uh, at another time in terms of uh, my least favorite event. But um, I learned, I met Larry through Rich. Rich, Larry used to be a vice president at Steiner Sports. He used to be on TV all the time and whatnot. And uh, Steiner Sports had a store uh, at Roosevelt Field. And they would have signings there, and those Reggie Jackson and whatever. And Rich would work the event, and he would just let me get ahead of the line instead of waiting online. That's how I met Larry. Um, uh, Bill Shorey's uh, over there in Vesco. There's that's a person that uh, who's a very uh, near and dear friend of mine in the retirement plan business. Um, he's somebody that I met through Rich. Um, Charlie Wenzel. He's another guy I met through Rich through Bices and. I think Charlie's at Cone Steer still to this day. So there's so many like people that, you know, advisors and whatnot that we still talk about Rich. And, and Rich was the guy who knew how to deal with relationships. And uh, I, I learned from Rich. And, you know, I, I think that if he, you know, Rich didn't have any kids, but a lot of what you see in what I do, um, Rich's heart is still, a piece of Rich is there. You know, that 4K conference, he would have loved that. Uh, you know, to, to do something like that. He would have enjoyed being a part of that. And, um, you know, I, I think of him, you know, uh, in terms of people in my life, uh, in terms of friendships, I think he's at the top of the list and how much uh, I, we weren't very great friends. Um, we were good working friends. Um, and uh, in terms of people who were friends of mine who made a profound effect on my life, he's certainly uh, top five. Uh, in terms of positive effect on my life, I, you know, I, I think of it. I think of him. I think of Ron Neering, um, and you know, a couple others. But those are probably the top two. And uh, one thing Rich was good at was dealing with clients. Um, you know, uh, I used to joke when I worked at a certain TPA that uh, you know this job would be great if it wasn't for the clients, which is a kind of a kind of a joke, but also a nod to one of my favorite movies, um, Clerks, by Kevin Smith. I remember first watching that movie when I was at the Boston University School of Law in 97, 98. That movie came out in 94, but I would, you know, really got into it because I had a, um, like a sweet mate of mine at the, at the law school who got me into the Kevin Smith movies and I was a huge fan of it. But, uh, you know, uh, the fact is, is that what really was difficult wasn't really the clients. It was coworkers, you know. People who had absolutely no training in retirement plan administration or couldn't simply read a plan document index for the correct plan provisions. 
Um, you know, I worked for two TPPAs. We didn't we didn't provide training to our employees. Uh, so you know, I, I worked at one TPA in Sayosset, and they recruited heavily out of my alma mater, Stony Brook University, um, or as I still call it, SUNY at Stony Brook. You know, brought people along, smart kids. That's a really good school now, far better than when I was there. With my high school grades, I couldn't get into it today. <laughs> when I was when when I went, uh, it was the fourth rated SUNY center. We have four state university of New York centers, Binghamton, Buffalo, Albany, Stony Brook. When I went there, when I applied there, Stony Brook was a dead fourth. Uh, I want to say it was Binghamton, Albany, Buffalo, then Stony Brook. And now today, um, my daughter with her 90 average, I don't know if she'll get into it. Um, right now the, the rankings are Binghamton, Stony Brook, Buffalo, Albany, probably. Uh, but anyway, um, that's, you know, one of my non sequiturs. I got to tout my alma mater out of my three schools. That's my favorite by far. It's, it, it, I, I've got three degrees, Stony Brook, number one in my book, two, Boston University, because it was right near Fenway Park, and number three, dead last, American University of Washington College of Law. But what, you know, um, so when I joke about the clients being the problem, honestly, you know, we wouldn't be in business without clients. Uh, they need to be treated with respect. They need to be provided professional service and fair and transparent bill billing. Um, you know, ultimately, I think a lot of plan providers forget that you know a client is an individual. People are different. They have to be treated differently. You can't treat every client the same way. Uh, you have to deal with personalities. Um, I I struggle with that. Uh, I to this day I still struggle with it because. Um, you treat clients differently, and, and sometimes you'll hear back where, you know, um, uh, I, I remember going through some of my old emails recently to try to cut down on my box and uh, my mailbox, and, like, there was an email nine years ago where the client is telling the advisor that I was arrogant. I mean, I didn't see it, but um, I tried better. Um, you have to raise client expectations if you know uh, that they're not happy with your service. Uh, and th that's why I say what works well for one client may not work well with others. Um, managing personal relations are, are just difficult because people are different. Um, I've had that problem. I don't deal well with narcissists, uh, whether it's probably personal life or business. Uh, that's that's an allergy that I have. Um, you know, when I when I talk about uh, that certain TPA uh, that you know tried to. Uh, uh, screw with a plan that I was working on for 80 grand for a 5,500 valuation that we paid for. I just realized that the owner of the company was a narcissist. So um, I, I I knew I was up up against something that I didn't want to be up against. But with a narcissist, um, if it was a client, you treat them a certain way. If they're an adversary, which was this situation, you know what trigger points to hit on. Um, you kind of mock them. They're very insecure people. But when they're a client, you have to bend over backwards and deal with it. And, you know, they often say that 20% of the clients take up 80% of the work. I, I think that that's true. Some clients, because because it's really because some clients are more difficult than others. Managing relationships, um, you know, is difficult. I know firsthand, you know, um, uh, communication, um, if I would say any part of my failings as a human being is communication. 
um, any good relationship um, failed uh, was because of lack of communication. Based on, you know, I should have followed up and, you know, based on what other people do. And, and that just happened recently where, um, you know, I've been married for 18 and a half years and I had a falling out with a friend who, you know, um, when they got married three years earlier, I went to California for two weeks, was part of the bridal party, and when it was time to get my, uh, myself married off, um, they couldn't bother to even RSVP for the party, even send the Hallmark card. And I called them out on it, and they were, you know, very upset and making excuses, and I understand that. And, you know, I just let it be. And for 18 years, we didn't talk. And uh, recently I sent out an email and, and I didn't hear back and, and I understand that. So that's, that's really my feeling. Um, and you know, communication is, is really key to the business. And one of the easiest ways is to keep a client, I, uh, easiest ways, I'm sorry, to lose a client is communication breakdown, uh, or just simply a lack of communication. And when I was a kid and I'm 50 years old and I'll be 50 years old in a couple months and I, I've, spent almost the, I, I think I want to say the, almost the exact time, um, I think it will be in July or whatever, the, the breakdown where I spent 25 years in Brooklyn and 25 years in Long Island, I still see myself as a kid from Brooklyn. I've never gotten acclimated or used to Long Island still after 25 years. I still don't understand why people walk in the streets rather than the sidewalk. Um, and, you know, certain other things. But when I was a kid, Ed Koch was the mayor of New York City. And uh, I loved Ed Koch. Um, he wasn't as good as the Giuliani or Bloomberg because crime was still up and whatnot. But as a mayor, he was excellent in communicating. And he used to tell people, how am I doing? You know, that was his, his phrase. He wanted to know exactly how he was doing as mayor. And if there was a problem, he would, you know, be able to hear it. I'll never forget the 1980... Um, transit strike lasted for about eight days. Uh, he went on the Brooklyn Bridge to, you know, meet the uh, commuters who had to walk the bridge rather than be able to take a train on the Manhattan Bridge. And uh, I don't think that you have to ask your client, you know, every client that you have, how am I doing? I just think you need to have some communication with them consistently to gauge your continued interest in retaining you as a plan provider. Um, you know, I have that expression, um, that I unfortunately had to use uh, in life after my house was flooded in Hurricane Sandy. Um, I talk, and I think I've, I've said it uh, quite a bit uh, in podcasts and whatnot. I usually record downstairs in my den. And where I sit now is about five feet of water on Hurricane Sandy. And I had literally had you know family members live a mile away. And because of a, a lack of communication and, and a freight relationship, they didn't bother to see if I was alive or dead. So I had an expression where I said, you know, I needed you. You weren't there. I don't need you anymore. And that was it. Um, I had, you know, my friend Doug Goodstein uh, come rescue us two days after the hurricane. Because, you know, why did it take Doug two days? Well, because... There was no cell service. <laughs> I was able to go to Rockville Center, the village over, and communicate with Doug's wife. And we were rescued and um, spent two weeks there while we fixed our house and all that stuff. So it was a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say a lot of fun, but uh, I will never forget Doug for his hospitality. 
But when something goes wrong with a client and their retirement plan, you you know, as a plan provider, you need to swoop down and be there for them in any way possible. Uh, you know, if you're not there in a support role, uh, they will eventually fire you, especially if you are the reason why they're up uh, shit's creek, as they say. Uh, if you cause the error and they have issues and you pretend like you don't know these clients, uh, you know, that that's certainly going to be an issue. Um, recently, I, I had a new client with a defined benefit plan, and there were severe compliance issues because the compensation for the sole participant was incorrect. The accountant took the physician's hospital income and substituted for the physician's private practice income. Uh, the uh, income for the hospital was inflated. Um, the Obviously, the income for the solo practice was a lot less, so a contribution was made to the defined benefit for like three years, so he, he got it wrong for about a three-year period. And um, the TPA eventually goes to the client. They didn't, you know, the TPA did nothing wrong, and this is a really well-respected TPA that I do business with um, on some uh, multiple employer plans. And to this day, we've, you know, ended up firing the client. They've never responded back. They were worried because the advisor made some threats. Um, and they were, you know, not interested in helping out the client. I always say, uh, you know, they always say that the customer is always right. Um, but when it comes to compliance rules, obviously they're not. Uh, the client is always right in the level of service, but when they start requesting a pre-59.5 non-hardship in-service distribution from referrals, uh, you know, uh, you know, isn't going to get one or a client who won't correct severe compliance issues such as missing form 5500s, you know, but, you know, they, again, they are certainly right when, you know, they talk about how you're not handling them well. And I think it's important as a plan provider to have a thick skin. Don't take any criticism uh, personally. Uh, even if you think they're wrong, they have an opinion, and opinions are wrong as long as they are based on correct facts. But if they're based on incorrect facts, don't fight them because let them have their view. Clients come in all shapes, sizes, and views because some clients will be loyal to you no matter what. Another client may fire you to save five bucks across the street. Managing relationships is certainly hard, and some plan providers are certainly better than others. You know, you have to look within yourself and see whether you can do a better job in communicating with clients. There are times when you're, you know, unfortunately have to fire your client. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, if you have a 401k plan sponsor that's refusing to comply with the Internal Revenue Code or won't produce the information or giving you incorrect information consistently, there are times when you do have to say goodbye. Um, and it happens, and there's nothing personal about it. Uh, you have to protect yourself as well. Um, next, always one of my favorite topics, uh, Mike Webb uh, talked about it a bit in some LinkedIn posts, um, we traded back and forth on it. Someone is always trying to sell you something. Um, when I started my practice and, you know, did some networking, I, I jokingly say there was a cottage industry of folks who wanted to separate me from my money, uh, for services I really didn't need, you know. I don't need, I, I get it from all these LinkedIn invitations that drive me nuts. I don't need case management software because I don't litigate. I don't need search engine optimization because I insist that ERISA attorneys aren't searched by Google. 
you uh, might be bombarded by people requesting your time to review their services or sponsor their event, which, of course, you know, I do that. Uh, even if you're the biggest plane provider out there, you can't afford everything and you can't, you, you don't need everything. Your budget and time are not unlimited. Sponsoring events might be trial and error, um, but there has to be a nexus between the event and the audience. Um, you know, that, that, how many times I would see people at these networking events and they spent the table, they're a plant provider, and there are really no plant providers out there. I remember going to these networking events and asked to sponsor like 150 bucks, whatever, so the guy could pocket some money and make some money on these events. And the people there were sole proprietors who didn't need an ERISA attorney. So I just really stopped with that. It was just, you know, just something, just a waste of my money. And, um, you know, one of my biggest pe peeves out there is obviously people are trying to connect me through LinkedIn. And, you know, I know based on their occupation, they're going to try to sell me something. So, you know, anybody who's in the lead generation business or somebody who's, you know, dealing with attorneys, with clients and law firm management and phone systems and all that kind of crap. You know, I'm all for developing relations in the retirement plan business. Um, and, so, you know, and I know advisors around the country, thousands and thousands of advisors. I have a database of, you know, 7,000 plan providers. I don't want to get a LinkedIn invitation from a, a, a advisor who wants to sell me on their financial services and clearly don't know what I do. Um classic example of one is when the advisor reached out to me and he, he didn't know what ERISA was. It clearly was. And he, he says, oh, I see you're doing great things in the legal services business. He didn't know exactly what I did. He didn't know that I had a relationship with advisors. And I, I always find it funny. I, I don't respond. I used to be com more confrontational where, you know, an insurance guy would meet with me and I'm like, oh, you're just trying to sell me a policy. And there were a couple of uh, agents who said, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. I'm like, you know what? I, I got two million bucks on my life. It's I, I don't need any more insurance. And uh, you know, I, I I no longer respond to these folks. I'll link in with them. I'll put them on my mailing list and and whatnot. But I just I don't have time for this. And time is valuable. You have really no time to waste on people. They're only going to waste your time um, and try to sell you something. Next, developing with other retirement plan providers. And again, it's relationship-driven business. Dealing with other retirement plans goes a long way towards helping you cement as a leading retirement plan provider. If you don't deal well with them, people in the industry will know. Your reputation in this business means everything, and not playing nicely with others will hurt that reputation in this business. I work with hundreds of plan providers over the years, and their annoyance list doesn't – the annoyance list that I have about them doesn't complete one hand. I try to treat people the way I want to be treated. And uh, – You know, I, it's interesting. I just I had a client recently tear the TPA a new one about affiliate service group rules, and I talked the client off the ledge because the TPA was just doing their job. When a client was, you know, haggling another TPA about fees, I insisted that they stop. The fees are the fees. The fees are reasonable. This is an excellent TPA. Don't haggle for a couple hundred bucks. I don't like when people haggle over my flat fee billing. I'm not going to do that to another plan provider because I just have too much respect. Um, when the fees are certainly reasonable. Again, you know, there are times when I've had the, you know, problems with the plant, you know, other plant providers, um, you know. Um, you know, if you're nice to the plant providers, you will develop long-term relationships with them, and that may lead to a referral. If you steal clients or speak badly about the competition, you might be well-known in the retirement plan circus for being a dirty player. Um, 
I'll never forget being in a Morgan Stanley building and uh, being told that a certain TPA that I knew wasn't allowed in the building because they had poached clients in the past. They were producing TPA. Yeah, and a good part of my business is talking to other retirement plan providers. I mean, that's the purpose of this podcast. Um, you know, um, in turn, you know, and, and, and I, I do a job of answering emails and phone calls and whatnot. And, um, um, I, you know, I, I, I offer free help. And I could count on my hands with like a couple of fingers about people who have really um, abused that, abused my free help. Um, the first one, there's actually two advisors. The first one wanted me to develop a relationship with them to do the retirement plan tune-up reviews that I do for 750 bucks. And I never heard back from them after I did a free one and never do work for free. Actually, I did hear from them. I did hear from them a couple of years ago uh, where they wanted me to do uh, some Zoom thing for free and uh, I, I just never answered it. Uh, the second one had a needy client that required hours of work and the client goes to me after I sent them a retainer letter and uh, I, 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 the advisor drove me nuts. I remember one summer with my son off of camp and I'm at Costco and the advisor saying how in my retainer letter I should have charged more. I just, I don't like people telling me what to do with my business. Um, you know, just like I don't like telling people to do with their business. Uh, I give advice, they don't take it, that's fine. But my advice is always general, it's not specific. Um, and so anyway, uh, I didn't get hired and, uh, you know, the advisor never apologized for wasting my time. Um, Almost all my interactions with plant providers are, are good. Uh, you know, I, again, I talked about that TPA. They wanted eighty grand for the fifty-five hundred evaluation. Uh, that was a problem. So, you know, we're going to let the Department of Labor figure that out. Last but not least, dealing with government agents, auditors with the Internal Revenue Service and Department of Labor who perform random retirement audits are a necessary evil. If there are no auditors, we can't make sure that plans are complying with the Internal Revenue Code and ERISA. Because uh, since we have a voluntary compliance uh, system for retirement plan sponsors. Although audits are the only service that I charge by the hour, they're still uncomfortable to me because I've dealt with some terrible compliance issues with plans that were under audit. You get a lot more with honey than you do with vinegar. I never saw the point of being salty with government auditors. You ever see that uh, situation with Goodfellas uh, where Karen... Henry Hill's wife uh, is at home. She's watching Al Jolson on TV. The government agents, uh, FBI agents, come on, uh, come to the house with a search warrant, and she just signed the search warrant and just let them search. She even offered them coffee, and she never understood why people would spit on the floor and curse at them. And they're just doing their job. Uh, I feel the same way about you know IRS and DL auditors. Some are more knowledgeable than others. So I, I, right now I'm dealing with an audit for about a year now. And the guy just really doesn't understand what really is affiliate service group and what is not. Uh, I don't see the point of being salty with retirement plan auditors. Uh, don't ignore them. Be courteous and respectful. Even though it's difficult to deal with that, you just have to accept it. Audits can sometimes feel like a colonoscopy, but uh, there's no point in being difficult. On the flip side, they are not your friends. It's often an adversarial relationship. And never volunteer information. That's why I always say that you know retirement plan sponsors are, are, are morons for handling an audit by themselves. 
They always offer more information than they should. You're asked a direct question, you give a direct answer. You don't volunteer stuff unless it's asked. So right now I'm dealing with an audit. Uh, I ask what they're asking for, and I'm providing nothing else. If they want more backup for that information, then, then I will provide it. I will not volunteer with it. Um, you know, uh, I, I think just being a pain in the rear end with an auditor is only going to drag the audit out, which isn't going to help the plan sponsor clients that have to pay for representation and provide information. That's that. So hope you enjoyed this episode of that 401k podcast. A little longer than we usually we do 22 minutes. Now we're almost like a half hour, but uh, go to that 401ksec.com for further information. Hopefully we will have that event in Phoenix. I'm, I'm getting more optimistic uh, that a, an agreement will be made with the players and the owners. But um, go to that 401ksec.com for further information on all events, and I hope you tune in next week. Thanks. Bye.